personal privilege. Yeah. Be honest, I, I don't know most of these guys. This is Armstrong and Getty. On both sides. It is what it is. But hey, we made it possible with ridiculous bull. Hey, man. So then I was like, yay! All right, go, go. I'm sorry. Here's Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty show. I just want to tell you what happens when I get to work. I have to clean up the poop and the pee off of my doorstep. I have to clean up the syringes. I have to politely ask the people who I care for, I care for these people that are homeless, to move their tents out of the way of the door to my business. I have to fight off people that push their way into my shop that are homeless and on drugs because you won't arrest them for drug offenses. I have to apologize to my clients as to why they can't get into my door because there's somebody asleep there because they're not getting the help they need. You want to make us a sanctuary state. You want to make it comfortable for everybody except for the people that work hard and have tried their hardest to get along in life. And now we have to change that because of your laws. Your liberal ideology is not working. And I don't know who you're trying to please. But while you sit in your million-dollar home and you don't have to look at what we have to look at, there's hardworking people out there that have to deal with this on a daily basis. What are you going to do for us? If Liz, who is a business owner in Sacramento, California, were alone, that would be a, a really interesting and troubling story. The fact is that Liz is one of dozens, hundreds, thousands of business owners in blue states and West Coast cities that are dealing with this, and, and their voices are just not being heard by those who govern us, or haven't been until fairly recently. A, a rare example of how social media can be a positive, in that you can you can get your information out there, and if you really strike a nerve, it can catch on, and you can get a tremendous amount of attention. You don't need the local CBS affiliate to come do your story anymore. Right. You can get it out there. I'll be darned. Uh, Liz, who is a Sacramento business owner, joins us now. Liz, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, it's really our pleasure because we're, as you've probably guessed already, really with you on the idea that hardworking people, taxpaying people, uh, reasonable law-abiding people should not have their cities descend into chaos and ugliness um, and in favor of, you know, bums and junkies. But we know you don't want to use your last name. Why is that? Uh, you know, I've had quite the influx of negativity on my social media. I had to go private. And, you know, I, I found out on social media that I'm a stripper actress who is part of the KKK. So hmm. I just would like to be the <laughs> You're a stripper and an actress, you said? Yeah, someone apparently saw me at a, uh, I was in L.A., Oh, oh so it was fake. a fake video. Yeah. I see. You're acting, and and you're yeah. a Klan's woman as well. Okay. Yes. There you go. Jack, back to social media. So was there a particular moment that you just said, I'm fed up, and you decided to make this little video and put it out there? Yes. Okay. So, well, I've been dealing with this. Truthfully, it's 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 gone downhill in the past six months. That's yep. when I really noticed it. Describe it to us. What do you deal with? Um, feces on my doorstep, I'm saying at least once a week. I walked up last week, there was a cup of urine. Uh, they jump over the garbage cans. They've broken my windows. They've robbed me. They've kicked my door in. And, you know, my husband and I got together and collectively, we just said, we're done. It's You're done. So I made that decision Friday. And clearly in my video, I was upset. And I'm, I'm still upset. And oh, you, oh, and, oh, you were very reasonable. And so you turn your phone on yourself, I guess, and you do your little screed, and 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 it goes viral. Um, was there a particular tipping point, or was it just the cumulative stuff that you uh, mentioned? Um, actually, it was uh, a, a tent in front of my business. 
It was, and I and like I said, I have compassion for these people, but at the same time, <laughs> I'm trying to make a living. Nobody wants to come when they can't get into my business because there's a tent or there's syringes. You know, right? And and your compassion is appreciated, although. You know, we're we're realists, if nothing else. And my point, I, I'm Joe talking, that's Jack over there. Um, my point has always been, if you make it so easy for people to be, say, drug addicts or junkies or live on the street, I mean, because if you can live more or less for free and take in all the social services, you never have to go to work, you can lay around getting high all the time. I see the appeal of that. And I think as a society, uh, yeah. we've we've made it way too easy. What do you think? We've made it way too easy. And the governor is talking about having shooting galleries where people can shoot up safely. Great. So you'd have you even more people just out of their minds high wandering into your business and, and, and threatening your customers. That just sounds lovely. Yeah, actually, I had someone walk through my door, broad daylight, middle of the day, push his way in, tell me he was going to use my restroom. I said no. He pushed me out of the way, and I ended up grabbing my purse and getting out. And luckily, I worked next to a barbershop, and there's lots of men in there that could come help me, but... <laughs> and then you could, was, then that, I assume... That was the last straw. I assume you then call the police, and then what happens? Or do you? I, I always call the police, and the, the thing is is that they make a report, and there's there's not much else they, they, can, they can do, you know? Especially with the drugs around the area, they, they can't arrest them. So what do, you, what do the cops say to you, Liz? They say, talk to your local officials, talk to the governor, because we want to be able to do something, and we can't do it. Yeah, boy, we've heard that plenty of times from plenty of cops in plenty of places. Look, we completely understand, but we're being absolutely, our hands are tied by the city mm-hmm. council or the governor or the mayor or whatever. So the the yeah. negativity you're getting on your Twitter account or in social media, is it seem to be from people that think you're being mean? To uh, to point this out or what? Yes, I got the the feedback I got was that I'm sorry they've inconvenienced your happy little life, and I thought, yeah, what is yeah, right? I understand. That's a, your job. <laughs> yeah. So part of your screed was the same thing I said at a city council meeting last year. Was it? It would seem that you're prioritizing them over those of us who are law-abiding, tax-paying citizens. You've chosen them over yeah. us. Is what it looks like, and that, and that's what you just said. And and if you point that out, there is a weird communist utopian crowd out there. Oh, you've yes. got such a perfect life. Oh, sorry, we damaged your perfect life. Oh, I don't have a perfect life, and but I, I created this, and why do I have to give away chunks of it for that dude out there on the sidewalk? Why? What's the logic yes. behind that? Well, you know, here's here's where I come from. I would like to say I am a recovering person myself. I, I've been sober for four years and it's possible and and I I got myself up by the bootstraps with the help of God but but the, this is not the result letting people die on the street with their drug addictions is not loving them is not taking care of them is not helping them and it's harming everybody else in the process boy I would agree completely um, getting back to the theme of you know choosing somebody who just wants to live as a junkie rent free versus a person like you. Um, tell us about your business. How long did you take to get it started? What have you put into it? Um, I have had, I've owned a business for 15 years. I've had two different locations. One was on um, another street downtown, and I moved this one about 10 years ago. So I've been there 10 years. I loved my location. 
I put everything into my, my, you know, my business. This is, this is how I make a living. And granted, I have my clients. I'm a hairstylist. I can move somewhere else. I don't want to. I, I loved where I was. So it's, it's a huge inconvenience. And not to mention you'll lose clients when you move locations because downtown is very central. It's easy for people to get to. It's just, it's a huge inconvenience for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a shame. And and the guy who just wants to live rent free uh, wins, and and you lose. So you, you are actually going to move your business. I'm going to move my business. I'm I, I'm going to be there for now until I can find something, and then I'm going to. I still have a lease. I'm going to have to pay because I'm going to do the right thing, you know. Right. So I'll have that lease, and then wherever I go. So that's how bad it is. I'm willing to pay two places to get out of there. Well, and then whoever owns that building, they're going to have to uh, find a tenant who's willing to put up with that. So you're that they're being harmed also. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a domino effect. Well, sure. if you haven't seen Liz's video, which is measured, intelligent, articulate, and not the least bit deserving of, of vitriol online, we have it at armstrongandgetty.com. Hey, Liz, uh, thanks for chatting with us, and, and well done. Way to speak your mind. I mean, that's a good for you, and sorry about the, the some of the crap you have to deal with, but that'll blow over. Literally crap, yeah. yeah. No problem. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thanks. That's uh, the fabulous Liz. And that interview was a hundred times better than the one she did on Fox and Friends. <laughs> I was going to ask her to say that, but I'm just, I'm telling you. What was the need for that? I mean, what, where did that cruelty, cruelty, ideal and facts? <laughs> that was truth. You can't handle the truth. Festering cruelty within you that just had to leap out at the what? end. That's an unfair diagnosis, <laughs> sir. Skewering. Why are you crapping on the doorstep of my soul? <laughs> wow. Huh? Um... That's a difficult charge to respond to. This, this, uh, you know, this story happens over and over and over, and it will, it will happen over time, and there'll be no coming back, and then, and then, and then there'll be the questions of why, why do people not live in here, here anymore? Why right. do businesses not open up here anymore? Right, exactly. The downtown has died. We need to revitalize it. Yeah, well, nobody wants to be there, and you know, it's funny. Just like you said, the utopian communist uh, fantasy land that a lot of these people live in. Civilization, law and order, is not easy. It's practically a miracle. It's unknown in huge swaths of the earth where death and pain and disease hold sway. And you have these places where it's been well established and it's very pleasant and, and reasonably safe and productive and prosperous to live in a place. And then people think that the things you have to do to preserve that are just too mean and we've got to get rid of them. Uh, I've said this a hundred times. I I ought to get a tattoo that, and I'll probably say it a thousand more before they yank me off the air someday, inevitably. Um, discipline without compassion is uh, fascism. It's cruelty. But compassion without discipline is chaos. And civilizations crumble. You've got to have the right balance. And more and more people, uh, liberal, progressive people in progressive areas are realizing, oh, this doesn't work. This is unlivable. This is miserable. Something needs to change. And I hope the word spreads. You also have to be a grown-up enough to deal with there's, there, there might not, at least for now, be a, a perfect solution where somebody isn't hurt. I'm just saying you're going to have to choose law-abiding, tax-paying citizens over the drug addicts out on the street. Right. right. Well, where are they going to go? Somewhere where they don't impact the quality of life of honest people. 
That's as simple answer as I can give you. There are plenty of places like that, way out there or over there, just not somewhere they impact people's lives and standard of living. Or eventually, slowly, it's not going to be a mass wave that gets everybody's attention, but slowly over time, people are just going to kind of go away. Right. And your businesses will go away and the people will move out and it, and you're going to think, what happened? Well, and I would like to hear a vote of recovering addicts. Yeah, we got a text on that. Okay. Letting, letting people live in their addiction is not compassion. Right. I'd like to see a vote. If somebody were to make it effortless, effortless for you to continue your addiction, would that help you stop or hurt your effort to stop? I mean, the answer is self-evident for the love of God. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. As the tree was cut down and landed right onto a parked vehicle, totaling it. We're told that car belongs to a Marshall student. You can imagine how upset she had to be when she came outside and saw her car looking like this. Here's a little of what that witness had to say. It sounded like a beer can getting flattened. It just was crunch. It was, I hate to say it, it was kind of cool. You know, I mean, what guy, what, you know, doesn't like, you know, destruction. Yeah, you know, that's why we go to demolition derbies. But, hey, you know, bottom line, that's that poor girl's new car, and she can't get to school now. The newest <laughs> entry in the Armstrong and Getty Hall of Fame of Colorful Hicks. <laughs> but, hey, I think that's my favorite part of it. Yeah, and I say that with great affection to the people of the American well, South. Sure. Um. Uh, yeah, a hick can be anywhere. <laughs> but hey, yeah, that girl can't get to school. You know, bottom line, that's that poor girl's new car, and she can't get to school now. <laughs> now, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I'd now, hang out with that guy. I now, gotta. I hate to admit it, but it's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> Why we go to destruction derbies? <laughs> now, he's no swarm of bees attacking the geo tracker guy, or. Rough talk to bear. Right. I mean, he's not going to be, you know, he's not going to reach the highest pantheon of colorful hicks, but he's strong. He's an all-star, but not a Hall of Famer. Exactly. Give, me, give me one more. Give, give me just the, him. Do we have I him? hate to say it. It was kind of cool. You know, I mean, what guy, what, you know, doesn't like, you know, destruction. Yeah, you know, that's why we go to demolition derbies. But, hey. But, hey. But, hey. That girl can't go to school now. I want to hang with that guy. I really do. Oh, yeah. Sound like a beer can being crushed. Um, Atlanta is going to ban electric scooters at night. Lots of cities are trying to figure out how to deal with this. It's been a deadly summer for riders, they say. Uh Uh-oh. Man, I saw a girl whizzing along the street on a scooter the other day, and I, I, I don't know. I, I feared for her, but that doesn't mean I'm going to tell her to get off. That's the difference between me and a lot of other people. She was a girl. She was an adult. In Atlanta, three have died since May. How many people have died in an auto wreck in Atlanta? It's one of the biggest uh, urban areas in the country with some of the worst traffic in the country. How many say, in my experience, you can't go fast enough to get in a wreck in Atlanta. The how, traffic's so terrible. But I'll bet you there's been a lot more than that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> Stop policing each other. As long as it's known, and it's known, that if you fall off this and crack your head, it's going to hurt bad and you might die. Just get out of each other's way. I don't... I don't it's if, if you don't have the uh, the mommy gene for the rest of humanity, it's hard to understand people who do. I guess. Yeah, I, it seems unsustainable for a variety of reasons. What's that? 
the having scooters and people flying around on them. No. For a variety of reasons that I don't like, but it just seems like there's no way it can last. How about the leaving them everywhere thing? That doesn't bother me. I know it bothers some people. It doesn't bother me. <sighs> it's a bad feng shui. It's like having clutter in your office. I, you have to step over the rest well, of it. Well, I've need, only seen these in towns have that have good feng shui. tremendous bum populations. You're bothered by a clean scooter parked over by that meter yes. as opposed to the the guy laying in his own feces over there. I'll, I'll take the scooter. Well, what do you mean as opposed to? I'm bothered by both of them. It's all about feng shui. <laughs> well, one's been going on for decades, and everybody seems to be okay with it. Now yeah. there's a scooter parked there, and that bothers you? The, the feng shui? Whatever. Well, right. Doesn't bother me. No? No. I'm not bothered by any of it, really. Um, the scooter thing? Yeah. I'm, I'm, surprised. I'm not bothered a lot. I'm surprised it exists. I just didn't think you could do something like that. In everybody's got to wear a helmet all the time, litigation America. Well, my solution as a uh, liberty lover is uh, spread the word. Hey, don't leave these in places that would, uh, you know, interfere with people's uh, getting to, in short, their feng shui. They're starting to do more than that. There's a bunch of these different companies, and not all of them are, are in step, but some of them start to add a penalty if you don't. Uh, an additional fee if you don't return it to a, an official docking station, things mm. like that. Quit being a, a Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. So here's a dream of mine. My dream, my dream is different than uh, probably a lot of your dreams for what you'd like to do someday. I would love to, because I'm just a fanatic for following presidential campaigns for some reason. I'm really into it. You love the sport. I love the sport of running for president. I would I would really like to be a reporter sometime and follow the whole thing all around Iowa through the whole thing going to the different rallies and the state fair and the speeches and watching the polls and asking questions and report for somebody. I don't know if I can make that dream happen for me someday. Do you know the difference between a colon and a semicolon? If you don't don't call us, we'll call you. You're not fit to be a reporter. How are you with commas? Periods? Do you even know how to capitalize, son? Oh, you talking about writing? No, yes. I want to be uh, on air. I want a TV, radio, oh. that sort of thing. Oh, well, I've been in radio my whole life. Why am I going to become a writing reporter all of a sudden? The difference between a verbal colon and semicolon is very important. <laughs> yeah. well. I'll tell you one guy who writes about this sort of thing. He's been doing it for a, a long time and does it well. Is David Drucker, senior political correspondent for the Washington Examiner. You know about semicolons, David? Use them all the time. And so, and, and so my question for you is, if I did that, now take apart any uh, level of how jaded you are, having done this multiple times. Try to remember the fresh-faced young David Drucker who did it for the first time. Would I find it pretty interesting or not? I mean, it's possible. <laughs> well, that's the sort of enthusiasm I was looking for. Well, you know, we're, we're all cynical and jaded these days, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and angry. Uh, I understand. <laughs> I understand. There's so much repetition to it; the joy kind of goes out of it quickly. Is that accurate, or how would you describe your usual day? Well, no. I, I mean, you know, being serious for a minute, it's a, it's a fun job. I mean, I'm not curing cancer or anything, but I, I get to cover campaigns, uh, run around the country seeing things, talking to people, and it's the same, but it's different. I mean, what, what can be a little repetitious is when you cover a candidate for a period of time, you know, they, they don't change up their stump speech because most of the people are, that are coming to see them, number one, are, are seeing them for the first time in person. They haven't heard the stump speech before, and because as a politician, you want to figure out what your best message is, and you actually, to be effective, 
want to repeat it over and over and over again until people like me want to blow their brains out. So yeah. I, I see. Um, I would find you, that not, you don't run for president to win over reporters. You run to win over voters, and, and there's a certain way you have to do that. Sure, I get that. I, I I would find that alone interesting on seeing what things they add in or drop over time as they realize that's not working or sure. the winds have changed that sort of thing. Is is that is it as omnipresent around Iowa as it appears? When we're you know reading about it or watching on TV, because you got you got a dozen candidates in a fairly small state going all over the place. Do you run into people everywhere? Yeah, sure you do, and you can you know meet the different. You can meet voters uh, multiple times. You know, as reporters, uh, we often can end up interviewing the same people, um, not necessarily by design, but it, it happens. And you know, it's interesting because you know I know there there some. On both sides of the aisle, there's always a little bit of jealousy or frustration that why, you know why does Iowa and why do Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina get so much attention? And you know I'm I'm from California where nobody cares about politics except that maybe once in a generation. You know you had Prop 13, then you had the recall, and, and I don't know when the next time is going to be. Um, and, and and so you, you kind of need to do this in a state where voters are into it. And you don't want it to be too big. I mean, the other thing with California is even if people actually cared about politics, which, which they don't, just to get around is, is so prohibitively expensive uh, because you have to fly all over the place. Iowa is not the, as small as people think. I mean, some of these drives are four-hour, 300-mile drives. I, I did, did it the other day, um, sometimes through awful weather. But you can get around, and people take it seriously. They actually see it as a responsibility. So they actually show up with the intent of figuring out what these candidates stand for or who pulls at their heartstrings and, and who it is they, they like. They'll go multiple times. They expect to shake hands with candidates and talk to them one-on-one multiple times uh, before they make a decision. You're in Des Moines right now, I know, and one hour south of their uh, drive down the interstate is where my whole dad's side of the family is from. I've been there a gazillion times, Decatur County, and there's not many people there. Do they, and as as is the case with a lot of counties in Iowa, do they go to those counties and talk to really small crowds sometimes? Yes, yes, and I've been to some of these events over the years. Um, real out of the way places um, where you know if you can draw forty people, that's a great crowd because they drove from all over the place. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. know. Hey, have you seen really really small crowds this season? Um, I haven't seen super small crowds this season, but I haven't trailed every candidate this season. I mean, I mean, there are some candidates that I'm sure are draw, drawing uh, some pretty small crowds. Um, you know, I've also seen some some average sized crowds in the in the couple hundreds. I was with Elizabeth Warren in St. Paul, Minnesota, on Monday evening. She drew twelve thousand. That was the biggest wow. uh, crowd. Wait, of she really so far. she really seems like she's got her her game just clicking on you know all cylinders or whatever the, the expression is. I mean, she really seems like she's rolling. Does it feel that way in person? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, she hasn't been um, knocked around yet, and we'll have to see how she does when she's finally knocked around. Did you hear about that fake uh, Indian always... thing? <laughs> yeah, but what I'm saying is that that's something that she created on her own really before and at the very beginning of her campaign. So she is somebody I'm keeping my eye on. She's running a good campaign. She's got a lot of energy. She acts like a leader. Um, she's improving as a candidate. She is not uh, the Hillary 2.0 candidate that I think a lot of Republicans were expecting. There's a more likable quality to her that is, is shining through. There's a more versatile quality to her that's, that's coming through. But because she is on the rise and she is going to threaten and possibly take the lead, 
there's going to come a point where the press hits are going to come, and it's going to be a lot more than about the Indian flap. And her her fellow Democrats that uh, don't want her to be the nominee are also going to come after her, and, and that's we're going we're to see what she's made of. David Drucker, senior political correspondent for the Washington Examiner, he's uh, reporting on the primary efforts there in Iowa. Uh, David, is uh, old Uncle Joe Biden anywhere to be seen? Yeah, he just finished a couple of days here um, with multiple events each day, and um, his like how many healthy and a, like. Two or three each day, okay. uh, both Tuesday and Wednesday. And his crowds uh, are pretty good. Events. Yeah, his crowds are pretty good. I mean, they're in the 200 range, healthy by by you know traditional standards. You know, a lot of people already know who he is. And granted, he he's not an Elizabeth Warren type, right? So his he's not generating the same kind of sort of progressive enthusiasm, but he's generating a lot of looks from voters who don't just want to beat Trump, but actually find his message of unity and, in a sense, getting things back to normal very appealing. I interviewed uh, more than a dozen voters uh, over the past few days. Um, I lost count. And his appeal to unity after beating Trump is something that a lot of Democrats want to hear. Not every Democratic voter in Iowa is like the Democrat that you see on Twitter. The same with Republicans, I could say. You know, not every Republican voter is like a Republican you see on Twitter. Sure. And some of them, you know, want somebody who, in a sense, just gets things back to normal. Joe Biden is still very progressive. Um, I've covered him for a long time. You've followed him a long time. I mean, the guy is hardly a centrist. It's just that he, you know, I guess he is compared to Bernie. appears, Appears more. Well, yeah, but I mean, look, come on. I mean, anybody's moderate compared to Bernie. I mean, Elizabeth Warren is moderate compared to Bernie. Hey, one more quick question. Uh, Since you brought it up, uh, Elizabeth Warren, when she's in the barrel, as they say, what what are her uh, points of vulnerability people are going to go after, whether it's other candidates or the press? Well, um, that's a good question. Because I don't know. They're going to go after her health care position. There are a lot of union members that Democrats might be able to win back and that usually vote Democrats still that did not move over to Trump that don't like the idea of losing generous health care benefits that their unions negotiated for them and concessions they gave in wages to get those health care benefits. Mm. So that is a that is a big one. Good one. Um, and I think a lot of the money she's promising to spend with no consequences for her wealth tax, I don't know that it all adds up, and I think people are going to pick that apart. Interesting. David Drucker from Des Moines. He is following the candidates on the trail in beautiful Iowa. David, senior political correspondent for the Washington Examiner. David, always a pleasure. Thanks, man. Good to see you guys. Take Bye. care. Thanks. It gets left out of a lot of these conversations all the time. Whether a candidate has faced the full-on scrutiny of the press or other candidates. Right. And if you haven't yet, you, you don't and have to. And a head-to-head poll, Beto O'Rourke, is, right. no, we haven't even begun to look at the embarrassing Beto. Um, well, he's he's not even worth discussing, really. But right. for Elizabeth Warren, yeah, it's the for, same. For the sake of mockery, he is. It's sort of where Bernie was running against Hillary because he never really had a serious chance he didn't get the full-on scrutiny. Hillary never yeah. turned her fire on him, and the media didn't and right. everything. Don't want to alienate his supporters. You know, what strikes me, and it's a fairly obvious point, but, uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren has the energy, the progressive energy, and Bernie does, and the rest of it. There are very few crowds that chant, moderate, moderate. Right. Or, we are reasonable. We are reasonable. That's just not the sort of thing that animates politics, and that's how you end up with, you know, I don't know, Bernie. They often vote, though. 
and then Bernie loses 48 states. They actually come out and vote. Yeah, that's true. They don't show up to rallies chanting moderate, moderate, but they might vote. Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. We're on this topic. A lot of people should be on this topic. I think we talked to this guy when the book came out. It's, he's the author of The Boy Crisis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dr. Warren Farrell saying this. What I found is that in the prison population, in the ISIS population, in the mass shooter population, they all have in common a very high percentage, about 90% dad-deprived boys. And what happens when boys are dad-deprived is they don't have a male role model to channel their testosterone constructively. Um, and, so you don't, and, and, and the male role model tends, in, a, in addition to being just a male role model, uh, dads tend to be much tougher on boundary enforcement, and the boundary enforcement creates postponed gratification, which leads the boys to being able to be successful at school or successful in sports, to feel more proud of themselves, not ashamed of themselves, not withdrawing, not feeling like an outsider. Wow, how good is that? Well, it's absolutely fantastic, and I would love to dig deep into that whole question because it's there is so much emotional, illogical uh, rhetoric being thrown around. Um, the idea that to say that is to somehow attack the single moms of the world. And single moms have become this weird sort of godhead in America now, where every politician constantly is mentioning single moms and how important it is to blah, blah, blah. And, and that's fine. And, and some of y'all are better off without the man or it was an accident or whatever. To say that a pitcher really needs a catcher is not a judgment as to the pitcher's sincerity as a baseball player. How many households is it true for where you do have mom and dad or a man and a woman uh, where the dad tends to be what he just said, more of the boundary setter, the more of no, we're not going to get that than the mom is. That's just right. It's every That's what I grew up with. That's what happens in our house and the people I know. Well, and anybody who would deny that the the, the vast majority of dads and moms conform to the following description is just they haven't observed enough of life. Mom frequently, when little boy, little girl falls down, skins knee, is about concern, comfort, healing, etc. And dads are often, you're going to be fine. Pick yourself up. You're fine. Don't worry about it. It's just a little scrape. And we need both of those things. We need the balance. Have since the dawn of man. And to deny that is politically correct nonsense. Which is not to say the single moms of the world or the single dads of the world aren't trying their damnedest and don't love their kids. But don't get into the stupid zero-sum argument. Right. Whether it's one or the other, that's just ridiculous. Right. To be pro-dad, you need not be anti-mom. Only an idiot would think that way. Why do I attack? Why do I lash out? We're talking about angry people lashing out and look at me. Probably because I really want a donut and I'm not going to have one. His stat. Can you play the first part of that again? Because the stat is so good same approach at Google. That's uh, Ted Cruz. L-Y and apostrophe. What, what I found is that in the prison population, in the ISIS population, in the mass shooter population, they all have in common a very high percentage, about 90% dad-deprived boys. Okay, so there you go. ISIS, the people in prison, and your mass shooters, 90% dad-deprived. That's an overwhelming, that's not just the majority of, or tends to lean that way. Sure. No, that's practically everybody. Right. Wow. And, and as we learned the other day, the, the four commonalities uh, that are virtually 100% among these mass murderers, 
uh, my preferred term is that um, uh, is that they experience trauma, violence, abuse, uh, neglect, uh, bullying, that sort of thing. Um, and a lot of that, you know, comes from fatherlessness. Or if you've got a father who's a monster, um, same thing. Yeah. It's, it's terrible. Which again, uh, and it's you know one of the challenges of doing this radio show is that we're not doing a six-hour-long podcast. Um, there's there are nuances, there are, there's tangents and tangents on those tangents that I think are pretty important to talk about, but we just don't have time. So spare us the angry email. Are you guys saying we just we don't have time to get to all of it? Um, but anyway. Uh, yeah, my husband was abusive and blah, blah, blah. You think I should have stuck with him? That sort of thing. I'm just saving you the, the time it would take to write it and send it. We're not talking about that. But anyway, we got this absolutely fabulous note. It's um, it's related. It's from um, Rose, um, who's an English teacher, high school in English teacher. I'm talking about um, disconnected, angry, purposeless uh, young men. As a high school inner-city English teacher, for 30-plus years, I found what worked for me for angry, turned-off, and sullen young men. And this, oh my God, this is so out of uh, Jordan Peterson and his book, 12 Rules for Croquet? Success? Life? Ah, life, not croquet. Anyway, this is so out of that. Um, What worked for me? With the turned off, angry, sullen young men, I would put them in a position of power. She says power. I would use the word responsibility. The first day or two, I would tell them my plan. If we have an actual real-life lockdown or crisis, I would tell the males how they need to help me. Um, take uh, the, the females to the back of the room, how they would be my backup if there would be, say, an active shooter. These young men for the last 20 years since Columbine would listen intently and take their stance to heart during school practice drills, as I would describe how they needed to lift my heavy desk and barricade the door and also be my backup. Someone came through the door and would jump on them. They would be my backup to take the gun away. Besides a serious life and death scenario, I would choose these disconnected young men to take my attendance down to the office. After my lesson, I would choose another young man to check my teacher box and bring me back my mail. I would share a private joke with them when they accomplished their task. Tardies, I would have another one or others uh, document, take down the tardies, etc. Empower and recognize the yearnings for recognition. That's what I used. Any behavior problems, male or female, one has to recognize the problem, own it, and figure out what the student needs. Then keep your classroom open during lunch and talk to the students at lunchtime as if they were equals and pose special issues or problems and how to fix them. I would tell all my students how I couldn't believe I was being paid to be with them. Their smiles and their enthusiasm would make the hardest heart soft. Oh, my God. What a gift of humanity. Yeah. Rose, congrats. Don't get a big head or anything, but God bless you. That's beautiful. I'm surprised you get away with that. Um, I mean, can you do that in a modern public school? Say the guys are going to set the desk up here. Somebody sues, implying that women aren't strong, Title IX, whatever the hell. And right, exactly. Yeah, that's demeaning to the girls in the class. Uh, that's amazing, and it, it just repeats something we've observed over and over and over again. A, a friend was just telling me about uh, a documentary he'd seen about yet another miserable, failing inner-city school that was taken over by a dynamic, demanding uh, black woman. And it was a heavily black neighborhood who said, yeah, nobody's failing around here. I know you can succeed. You're going to succeed. And by God, the kids succeeded. Now, it's not as simple as that. 
they have to be given the tools, they have to be encouraged, they you know, there's there's you know counseling involved, but it's about high expectations, not about demeaning people and telling them. And this is the most insidious message in American politics in the last century: you can't succeed, you cannot succeed because of your color or where you were born or your religion or whatever. No way. You need me as a politician to save you because you cannot succeed. That is a poisonous, slanderous, horrific message. And if I could stamp it out, I would. There's no doubt about it that the the whole mass shooting thing is uh, primarily a young man thing. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty.